Well, hello again. It's good to be with you. Uh, welcome to Generation Podcast. And I, my guest today, uh, unusually, I've, I've just met him. Uh, I met him five minutes ago, and the first five minutes have been great. Um, my guest is Tom Edwards. Tom, tell us what you're doing over here in Edinburgh. So I am studying a Master's of Missiology at Edinburgh Theological Seminary. My wife, Jasmine and I have moved over from Adelaide, Australia. Uh, we came over in August uh, specifically so that I could study this master's degree here. So that's that's what we're doing here in Edinburgh. Well, it's great to talk to an Australian. We seem to be talking to Americans. Nothing wrong with Americans, but it's great to <laughs> go south um, for a, a little while. So how have you found Scotland so far? Uh, dark. Mm-hmm. Dark and cold. Uh, but beautiful. We, uh, I've, I've loved um, Edinburgh. I've loved the people. Uh, it's uh, once you get and I was counting down the days to the winter solstice because from yeah. then it gets a little bit lighter yeah. um, every day. So now we're like five or six weeks beyond that, and I'm getting more sunlight, which is nice. But um, I find the city. Uh, really has a lot of character, you know, there's such rich history compared to Australia, uh, which is quite a a younger country, um, at least after it was colonised. So uh, Edinburgh has some, you know, beautiful buildings that are hundreds of years old. Um, This building we're in right now, the the seminary is set on, you know, this hill and I'm I'm looking out behind you. David's given me the good seat. I get to look out the window and can see the ocean out there. and the city, so uh, we've both my wife and I have really loved Edinburgh. We've been really yes, blessed. Th- this is quite a remarkable building. It's set in James Court in Edinburgh, and David Hume actually lived uh, in this mm. building, at least the building in this very you know position that we're in just now. So yes. there's a great irony, isn't it, that David Hume's house is now a theological seminary? I know, I know, and I hear that almost every day because the tour groups come out the back there, and I. I hear them referring to Hume uh, as I'm trying to study. Right, so. you'll be able to do the tour very soon. I could. <laughs> Tell us, have you found any cultural differences just now? I mean, mm. in many ways, some of our folk famously went over to Australia, so maybe your mm. background is is British. But what what are the main cultural differences? Mm. I, as far as differences, uh, well, let me start with uh, some similarities. I think. Uh, Culturally, Australians and uh, the UK, particularly Scots, um, have a lot of similarities in that I think we have a tendency towards anti-authoritarianism. Um, uh, I think that we are more comfortable with making fun of each other. Yeah. Um, as opposed to maybe some of our like American, the more, the and more Canadian fun you friends. make, the more affection you show. Exactly. So that's the case in that's the case in Australia. Um, I think uh, we're we're both um, just generally easygoing and and relaxed. Um, I think some of the differences, uh, probably lifestyle. Um, there. I think there's a lot more time spent in pubs here mm-hmm. um, and and indoors. Maybe that has something to do with the darkness. I haven't been through a summer here, so maybe that yeah, will change. There's in the not summertime. much difference between okay. summer and winter. There you go. <laughs> um, so I think that, uh, yeah, because of that, I find there's a lot more smokers in mm-hmm. 
in um, Scotland. I've spoken to a few people. They say there's a few theories that maybe it keeps them warmer or um, it is because there's a lack of sun. I don't know. But um, I think actually uh, from what I've noticed culturally, there's not too many differences. But when specifically with regard to uh, Christ and culture and like Christianity and how that's viewed, I think that here um, there is – I think people here have more of an understanding of the Bible and Christianity um, and therefore there may be those who aren't Christians might be a bit more hostile to it. Whereas I think in Australia um, we are far more apathetic. We just don't care. Okay. So um, I'll have a conversation with someone and, uh, you know, sharing the gospel with them. And I can just tell that in their head that they're nodding and they're kind of almost giving this impression like, oh, you might have a thought there. But I can just tell that they're just in their head thinking, I can't wait for this to be over. I really could care less about this. Is it a myth that Australians are more, shall we say, abrasive or upfront, that they're really up for an argument? Or do you think that's a kind of racial stereotype? Uh, No, I think there's truth in it. Um, I, I do think that um, most Australians are more willing to put you in your place, so to speak, but I think it's embellished um, a bit. And I say that because uh, I've only, I think maybe less than 10% of the time if I'm having a conversation with someone, I'll come across someone who's actually really hostile. I think most of the time um, they just sort of want to get away with you and they're not even going to bother being hostile to you. So I think uh, compared to um, maybe like, you know, I should probably stop using US people, but compared to, I think they're a bit more courteous, mm-hmm. um, whereas Australians uh, will be more likely to neglect the need to be courteous and just, as I said, put you in your place. Yeah, I guess we we are all formed out of our context and our history and certainly the Australian context suggests that one or two anti-authority folk... Are you a royalist? We're royalists? Are you a royalist? Oh, am I? Yeah. Uh, I... No, I would say no. Okay. But but I also, again, maybe this is the apathy, I also don't really... um, Care. I think most Australians, right. if they had the chance to vote, we would probably now, I think if we had a referendum and we, we would prefer to be out of the Commonwealth um, just because, uh, again, it's that kind of anti-authoritarian um, streak. And I, I think um, uh, I just think that's also the way culturally Australians are moving with sure. um, a lot of... Um, resentment towards colonialism yeah and and that's the, understandable yeah so i think given the choice again australians most australians would be um anti uh, royalist and, and would want to be out of the commonwealth okay so you're doing postgrad studies just now at ets can you tell us generally what your sphere of interest is yeah my so my uh, broad area is looking at mission in a secular culture and that's obviously um because I am from, uh, I'm from Canberra originally, which is a very uh, secular um, part of Australia. 
So my area of research is looking at things like um, how uh, God's people actually uh, join in on his mission in a culture that's increasingly secular, so a culture that is pushing faith more and more into the private realm um, where faith is something that uh, is okay if, if you keep it personal and you leave Jesus at home on a Monday morning. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm sort of looking at how we as, as God's people break down those barriers and we actually uh, reclaim the public square um, by taking our faith as something holistic, yeah. something that's, yeah. that's um, yeah. fundamentally undergirds every aspect yeah. of our life. If we backtrack a little bit, Tom, can you tell us your story? Were you raised in a Christian uh, environment? Yeah, so I wasn't. Uh, I was raised in um, a really loving family, uh, but none of them were Christian. Um, none were religious, as in none had any affiliation with any religion. Um, I, you know, I um, have a lot of conversations with my my parents now and have uh, realised that you know they're atheists, but I, I never would have known that growing up because no one ever spoke about it. Atheism wasn't even worth, you know. Uh, an author called Stefan Pass describes the same thing in Netherlands, and he says people in the Netherlands aren't atheists because God isn't even worth having an opinion on. Yeah. That was the kind of culture that I grew up in where you just sort of don't really talk about things beyond the physical. There's always that one weird kid at a sleepover that said, you know, <laughs> do, you, do you believe in something else? And the room would go silent and you'd move on. That was kind of what I grew up in. So I uh, spent the first... 20-odd years of my life in Canberra in that culture. And then uh, at the age of about 22, I uh, was in sort of a stereotypical lifestyle of a lot of binge drinking and um, a few recreational drugs and just kind of partying and that, that sort of stuff. And was at, I think, quite an empty place in my life. And it was at that point that I just... Uh, felt this urge to, to go down to this church. And it was, it was really strange at the time because no one ever invited me. Um, there was a local church. Have you been church. working or were you a student before that? I was working. So I was working as a uh, – I managed a gym. So I was a personal trainer. Okay. Um, and, uh, yeah, at, at that stage I just um, uh, felt drawn to, to go down to this, this local church. But because it was such a strange thing for me, my, my understanding of Christianity was – Reverend Lovejoy and Ned Flanders from mm. The Simpsons, and that was my whole view yeah. of, of Christianity. So, um, well, what, what, Describe what happened. Did you just think, I want to go to church, or what did you experience at that yeah. time? I, to be honest, it's quite vague. Yeah. Um, I know that I just at some stage, and I don't know exactly when, but I have an idea because I remember some – uh, Jehovah's Witnesses coming to my door, mm -hmm. and I didn't know what Jehovah's Witnesses were, um, but uh, they obviously invited me down to the church, and I said, oh, funny, you should say that. I've never been to church, but I'm, I've actually been thinking about going down to this church. And they, of course, said, no, 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 you've got to come to this one. Yeah. And I didn't, I knew nothing about religion, um, but I said, well, that's stupid. There's one like 200 meters yeah. away from me. Why would I go to your one? Uh, so... That's like my, I know that it was at some stage before then yes. that I was thinking about it. But I, um, 
I think, as I said, God probably really used, you know, unbeknownst to me at the time, this emptiness that, that you know, that to really um, make me almost, you know, a seeker, like I was seeking something. So I think within me it was just this strange feeling of I need to, um, whether it was I need to find community. I think for me it was more I need to find purpose um, and meaning and I thought that, you know, maybe this could be, um, and, I mean, you're, I assume your life was going well then. You were yeah. a stable family. You were fit and healthy. You yeah. were enjoying the the Australian scene. And, yeah. You know, so life was going reasonably well. Yeah, yeah. I, I would say so. I mean, I was, um, you know, holding down a, a regular job, um, managing a gym, which was quite a, a, a significant job. Um, I don't think anyone else in my life would have, you know, thought that I was – uh, going through this sort of inner um, sure. conflict or anything yeah, at that yeah, time. Yeah. So yeah. tell us about the church. Yeah, so I uh, I decided to go down one morning and um, basically I was standing at the front of the building and it was just uh, I was just filled with anxiety. It was such a foreign thing for me. So I um, I didn't go in. I was just waiting out there and I thought this is I can't go in. This is too too freaky basically. Uh, so I didn't go in left and then I, two or three weeks later, I thought I'll try again. And this time I got into the, the foyer of the building. I waited until their welcome team had left their post so I could go in without talking to yeah, anyone. Yeah, welcome teams can be such a put-off, can't I know, they? I know. Um, so I got into the foyer and then um, uh, the, the crafty welcome teams saw me and, and, they, just, and they just waved. It was this lovely okay, woman that great. just waved. But – I was like a scared cat and that, that completely freaked me out. So I, <laughs> I turned around and I walked away. And then I thought, uh, you know, maybe it was actually a few months later. I thought I'll try again for the third time. And I was waiting in the car park and uh, debating whether to go in or not. And then uh, I actually had one of my old best friends from primary school just sort of show up in the car park. And I hadn't seen him for years and I didn't know he was a Christian. We went to different high schools and uh, and he was just there, and he was kind of like, "What are you doing here?" And uh, and I didn't know what to say. But um, you know, I think God really used him then as someone familiar, and so um, I went in with him. And from there, over the next um, really six to twelve months, it was week by week. It was a really slow process of a lot of questions, um, a lot of doubts. But gradually, I, I came to um, you know realize that. Uh, there was a God and that he had yeah. um, sent his son to Was it a church which taught the Bible faithfully and well? Yeah, I, I actually, um, this particular church, this particular church in Australia was a Pentecostal church and was part of a, a large um, a group. And I think they, the pastors were, uh, I would say now faithful, um, but looking back, I don't think they taught the full counsel okay. of God, although I never knew that at the time. Yeah. So I'm only saying that, uh, like basically nine months after I uh, came to Christ, I moved to Adelaide to a new city. Okay, so in a sense, it got you going. They started you up in the Bible yep. as far as they could. They, they you know, they preached the, the basics, the need 
to repent yeah. and, and be born again. Yeah, yeah. There was lively worship, yeah. sense of community perhaps. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I got the gospel. Like yeah. I, I got uh, the gospel. I knew that I was a sinner and, and needed to be saved. Um, I think to to grow um, in my understanding of the gospel as a whole and, you know, the, the grand narrative of Scripture, um, I, you know, I mean, and God had already brought me out of that that church anyway, but I, I maybe would have needed to to go somewhere. So it was a lot of, you know, I, I think a faithful church, but just sort of topical sermons. Sure. Um, that would you stuff. say that there was an element of the supernatural in your story? In that, where did the feeling come from, mm. the desire yeah. to go to church? There's also a sense of providence. You know, mm. that guy turned up in the yeah. car park that you hadn't seen for years. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Do you see these things as being from a higher hand? Yeah, absolutely. I, um, you know, and at the time I wouldn't have uh, known it, but um, it it had to have been purely the grace of God working in in my life at that stage. I mean, um, you know, as Jesus says in in John six, no one comes to me unless the Father draws him. I, that's that's what was happening. No one ever invited me to church and. Um, and I'd never been, you know, I'd never, I'd, I'd really never come across any Christians before. It's mm-hmm. just the strangest thing to want to go down. That's to a interesting. Church. So you'd reached the age of twenty-two, and, mm. and we'll talk about this later. And no one had ever explained the gospel to you. No, yeah. no. I think I came across one Christian. Uh, he was in my school. And looking back now, you know, I liked him, and he was a nice guy. But in the best way possible, he was like the you know, the kind of strange kid at school. Yeah, yeah. So he could have, looking back now at his life with what I know now, he could have been potentially a, a Mormon or yeah. um, it just sort of had that. He was kind of vaguely religious. Yeah, okay. but, but spoke about the Bible. Yeah, great. So you moved from, you, you moved to Canberra, did you? From Canberra, from Canberra to Adelaide. To Adelaide. So yep. what was your, your story there? Yeah. Did you know folk there? Did you go to church? Yeah, so my family were originally from Adelaide, um, but they, my, my family moved to Canberra um, about a year before I was born. But I had grandparents in Adelaide. So I would go back and visit. But I just, I, I, uh, even before I had gone down to uh, the church and before I um, came to New Christ, I was already thinking I wanted to move to Adelaide. And now we spoke about God's providence before. I can see that that was very necessary because I just had a lot of, um, uh, you know, I came out of that culture of a lot of binge drinking and, and it was it was hard. Uh, there was a lot of sort of sin in my life that I, I was probably wrestling with and I needed that kind of fresh start. Um, so that was very helpful when I got connected uh, with a, a church that ended up um, being quite problematic in, in some areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... I think um, God used that as well to sort of sharpen my own conviction. So basically I, I got connected with this church um, in Adelaide, met my now wife there. Just to stop in one thing, if there's hassle in the church, you're a fairly new Christian, did that put you off Christianity, S- seeing that there was issues and hassle and stuff? Well, I don't think I noticed it at okay. uh, early on. It was only my my story was that I I had a – a, a real hunger for the word of God very early on. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, as, as 
I think what tends to happen with people who come to Christ as an adult, not the case all the time, but a lot of people are just incredibly hungry for the word of God. It's like they've been starving and they come to this buffet bar and they just want to eat everything. Yeah. Give me, give me, give me theology, whatever you can. And so I did that and just ate everything that I was taught. And then I was in this pattern of, of reading the Bible every day and uh, slowly over the course of time, I just started to see that things didn't quite line up and there were things that I was reading in scripture that I was seeing almost the opposite of, a lot of um, greed, a lot of um, uh, unfruitful and ungodly lifestyles, you know, this almost same sort of thing of like people binge drinking but, but yeah. in the church and, and these were people in sort of, you know, leadership and, yeah. and that sort of stuff. So there were those sort of things that I just didn't see align, and um, it was this process of of then um, actually coming to realize um, what I believe and what I've become convinced of from the Word of God. And then over um, three or four years, uh, we, uh, long story short, my wife and I ended up leaving that that church. But there's another story of providence in that as as well. But we were very grateful, so uh, we we moved. And we're part of a new church plant, and we've been part of that church for the last several years. And they were actually very supportive um, in sending us over here to, to be equipped to then go back and, Lord willing, plant a, a church uh, in Australia. Yeah. So you made Jasmine across a crowded room. Yes. Well, she uh, actually we were talking about this the other day. So she uh, she says she saw me. She yeah. wanted to come and talk to me, but mm-hmm. she didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, so this was, I was, I would like to say an innocent man coming into a church environment. And because I came from that, um, very secular culture, I kind of saw the church as I, I actually saw it as a very holy place, which we should, mm-hmm. but I thought, oh, surely boys and girls aren't going to talk to each other. And like, you know, no one's going to ask anyone out for a date. Um, so, but when I rocked up, you know, I, I kind of <laughs> <laughs> saw that it was it was the opposite <laughs> to that. Um, so uh, it took a while. It took a, a, um, a couple of months actually, but I started to to um, talk to Jasmine, and I did. I would have uh, loved to have asked her out a lot earlier than I did, but um, the only time I would see her was at church, and I felt really awkward about trying to ask um, Jasmine out when we were around. Um, you know the the, the kids that we'd just been helping in kids' church and uh, or, you know, this, yeah. this other church member. Uh, so I ended up shamefully sending her a text uh, one day just kind of being like, would you like to go get a coffee or, or something like that? And so, did she reply within five minutes? <laughs> I, I don't know, actually. Mm. But she said yes. Said yes. So very thankful. Okay. So you, you went on to form or be part of a church plant. Was yeah. that from day one of that plant or was it going? No, it was from, so uh, City Reach, a church in Adelaide. Um, they uh, had planted one church previously. The City Reach Oakton had, had planted City Reach West and they were making plans to plant another church and they had a church planter but he uh, didn't have a team yet. And I met him at a 30th birthday party and a few weeks later he asked me to be part of this church plant. Um, 
which at the time I thought was crazy because I only just met him. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was, as I mentioned, you just before, met him in, in that within the, that hour, as it were. Or we we sort of spoke, and we just I think it, this was at the time where I was at the end of really wrestling with everything that was going on at the other church, mm-hmm. and I probably just um, I probably just vented, <laughs> like unloaded, and. Um, uh, we spoke and then I, I think he, he sent me a text um, a few days later and asked if I wanted to catch up for a coffee and so we did and then it was then that he, yeah. he said, would you consider being part of this? And was the plant plan? into a new area of the city where there was no existing church? There were, it was into an area called Marion in Adelaide, which is a very um, prominent uh, area. Um, there were a few churches in the neighborhood. We weren't sure exactly where we were going to be, but we we knew Marion was going to be the area just because it's sort of a hub of of the south of Adelaide. So was Marion? I mean, is it a populous area? Yeah, I think I'm not sure on the exact population, but there would be at least two hundred thousand people within a five ten minute drive. Of, of that area. Would it be affluent suburbia? Uh, I think it would be a mix, almost as some gentrification that has gone in there. There's some areas that are more affluent. In our particular area, we're actually next door to a suburb that would be one of the most uh, lowest socioeconomic sure. demographics. So a lot of public housing. It's different in Australia. Here you guys understand you have schemes where like the, the public housing is in one area. In Australia, it can be... Um, houses that are public housing, but they're mixed in and you have like a public housing house that's next door to, you know, a family that's earning significant yeah. amounts of money. Um, but one particular suburb is um, a very low um, as far as, uh, you know, quite a bit of poverty. Um, I mean, poverty in an affluent sure. country. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Are you, have you bought into the church planting thing in other words, do you see it as a significant form of evangelism? And if so, why? Yeah, I do. I I think uh, church planning is a significant means God uses within his mission. I don't think it's the um, main, you know, means, but I think it's a significant means. I think we see that pattern, you know, through the New Testament, um, through the planting of of gospel communities um, all throughout Acts and, and beyond. Um, and so I think today uh, church planting is, for several reasons, um, a, a great way that we do participate in evangelism. I think it works um, as far as evangelism in, in several ways, one being that just the idea of, getting a, a small group of people together to go to a new community, it, it does something to really stir people on um, to get a refreshed and renewed sense of God's mission. Um, I was so grateful to experience this where there was just sort of eight or nine of us praying, not knowing where exactly we were going to be, but just praying and asking God to, you know, how he might use us in this area and then seeing him open up doors. And it, that's the sort of stuff, I mean, evangelism should be an overflow of praise and like the apostles mm-hmm. where they can't help but um, speak about all they've seen and heard. So I think church planning is a way that mm-hmm. that happens. Um, but also, you know, the other side is 
church planting can be a result of evangelism yep. where you you are sharing the gospel, a community is formed, a church is planted, the cycle yep. continues. So did you see growth in the church in, in Marion? Yeah, I we we did, but it was, you know, I think God used it um, in a different way. It almost became a bit of a refuge for those who had come from difficult situations. And this is the danger, of course, with I think modern church planting is we, we there is a danger of being so ambitious and so um, wanting to do the next big thing yeah. that you just end up getting transfer growth because everyone wants to be part of that new yeah, thing. That's a great insight. It's like a startup company yeah. and, you know, certain driven entrepreneurial types like to be part of it because it's a new thing. Yeah. It's a new start. Yeah. Yeah. So that, and I just like, one, I wrote a bit of a paper on the dangers of consumerism to the, mm. the Western church. And a, a part of my research was looking at um, how a lot of the modern modern church planting can be um, driven by this need to put a name out there, um, like a franchise and and build something new and better. And a lot of it, like one author describes it like uh, channel surfing, as in we just kind of like get sick of this one, do something new, sick of this one, do something new. So we're just kind of constantly flicking through channels and, there is a real danger of church planning being like that. Like, let's just, maybe this isn't working. Let's try something new. Um, I don't, you know, and I, I don't think that that was the case for our church. I was very, very thankful to be part of it. And, um, and it did, at the same time, there are unfortunately churches that are either unfaithful or they're just, for whatever reason, under God's providence, they're um, falling apart and, and they're, Sometimes needs to be a refuge for those for, for broken mm-hmm. Christians to come and mm-hmm. and be refreshed and and renewed. Um, so while we saw um, you know a, a a small amount of growth, I would say from people who had not been involved in church, maybe they were Christians but had sort of fallen away. Yeah. Um, but there were a lot that actually were sort of part of churches that unfortunately were kind of going down a, a bad path and. Um, so they they sort of found refuge here, but it is a danger of um, church planting, particularly in in uh, affluent areas like Australia and like Scotland, where you end up um, with four or five local churches within walking distance with one another. But because we have this mindset of like church planting is the thing, no one really cares about the the sort of universal unity of mm-hmm. of the church. And actually, um, could some of those church plants have actually reached out to existing churches and say, "How could we partner um, with you?" I think the truth is a lot of older churches really find it difficult to change. Yeah. So it's easier just to start a new one up. Yeah. We're involved in a lot of revitalizations. Some of them are really successful. But sometimes a church will not admit that the reasons for its decline are still with it Mm. and are not prepared to change. But I think that's a conversation that we've really got to have, as you know, not just in our church plants, because bad practice doesn't negate good practice. So church planting is good. 
um, we just have to work and pray to get mm. new growth mm. um, into these new churches, mm. new, new Christians, folk being saved, to use a word we don't hear all that often, yeah. converted, uh, changed. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. So... Moving on to what is is one of your passions, because you come out of a secular environment, um, you're in you know Australia is a very postmodern and secular context. Um, has that fired your imagination and your passion? Yes, uh, because I came out of a culture where I'd never heard uh, the gospel. Um, never had that communicated to me. I really knew nothing about Christianity. Uh, and I just, I do have a particular heart for, I mean, a lot of, uh, so none of my family are, are Christian. Um, none of my my friends that I grew up with are Christian. Um, and I, I do think about people who are growing up in a place like Canberra, just like me, with absolutely no idea that there is this, um, loving God out there who's sovereign over everything, um, who knew them before they were formed in their mother's womb and who, who actually can provide a f- true freedom, which everyone wants, Yeah, but they're, they're going down a path of actual slavery, but this, this God can provide true freedom um, and reconciliation and redemption. Yet they, they go around with absolutely no, no idea. It's not, it's, you know, they're not even consciously... Uh, rejecting him, their rejection is so deep that they're not even aware okay. of it. So that is, uh, I have a particular heart for that. And um, that's where, Lord willing, we would actually be planting a, another City Reach church back in Canberra. So that's sort of the plan to go back, back into here, that culture. Yeah. Now, what would you say, Tom, if you met the 20-year-old Tom Edwards, mm-hmm. uh, how would the conversation go? Mm. Well, it would it would have to. I would say it would have to be in uh, a relationship. Um, I think that's a that's a big thing. I mean, so you could have a conversation with twenty year old Tom, where it's an elevator conversation, and I don't know whether I'll see twenty year old Tom again, um, or uh, in the coffee shop, or you know, you would have found twenty year old Tom at at the gym or at the the pub. Yeah. Um, so. Um, having a, a conversation and I think just starting, well, first of all, listening, <laughs> listening mm-hmm. to, to actually what they're saying, asking questions um, rather than just jumping into a, a conversation, telling them. I think uh, it's, you know, Tim Keller and, and others talk a lot about contextualization as, um, you know, um, answering the questions that are actually being asked and therefore you, you need to understand the questions that are being asked in this culture. So I think that conversation has to start with understanding um, this person where they're at, um, recognising them as, a, as someone who is made in the image of God and therefore you want to care for them. Um, so it's difficult to say where would this conversation go because I think it has to start with, well, what, what's their situation? So for 20-year-old Tom, I think um, it would be, asking um, a question, even like, where do you see your life going or what's your plans? And just maybe, you know, looking into the real motives of why why I wanted to do a certain thing. I mean, at that age, I probably would have wanted to 
make a lot of money playing baseball mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. I was playing a bit of baseball at the time and just asking, hmm, and, and how do you think you'll feel if you get to that point and you've got money? Do you think you'll be satisfied? Mm-hmm. Do you think you'll actually be fulfilled? Um, and I think um, the conversation has to, the reason I say relationship is because the, the conversation, our words have to be interpreted by our deeds as in like our words will make sense if they're coming from someone who actually demonstrates that. So uh, Leslie Newbegin talks a lot about the, the congregation being a hermeneutic for the gospel, yeah. which basically means that the church should be a place where people can hear the gospel and then they see, oh, that, that makes sense. Actually, it makes sense that, that God loves in a sacrificial way because I've seen that in mm-hmm. community. I've seen the way they love one another and even when it hurts. So I think our conversation always has to be um, in relationship so that they can see that what we're saying is actually demonstrated in our lives. But above all else, the conversation has to be undergirded by just a desperate prayer that the Spirit would would open up their heart and that God would actually do the work which only he can. And I think unless we are always in uh, deep prayer, um, that God would open up a door, that our, our words would be gracious, then um, maybe we're not really doing it in the power that, that God actually wants. Yeah, the number one strategy I see needed today in Scotland is just personal conversations, sharing your faith in a very natural, mm. informed way. So I'm guessing then that in your conversation with the 20-year-old Tom, you're not giving him everything in the first 15 minutes, Genesis, right through to Revelation, <laughs> with a little detour into Leviticus. I'm no. guessing this is... A long-term project. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I mean, first of all, I would have never heard of those books. Um, so yeah, I I think, and that's a beautiful thing about trusting in uh, God's sovereignty and trusting that He's the one that saves. That it's it's not as if we don't if we don't share the whole gospel in fifteen minutes. It's not as if um, we've lost our chance. God is sovereign. Um, he knows, and so it's that I think is you know it's really liberating to realize. This is actually something that God's inviting us yeah. into. He's the one doing it. So what a privilege. So I can take my time actually getting to know this person and, and loving them and hearing their, their story. Um, and, uh, you know, I suppose that's maybe a difference in our, our culture now where a lot of people aren't really willing to take the time to sit down and listen. Yeah. We can be very self-centered. And so it would be unusual for someone to actually say, I'd love to hear about your story. Like, I'd love to hear about... Yeah, um, the power of story is, is good. I mean, the old days used to call it testimony. Yeah. But, you know, just before we, we conclude, I just want to open up just one other area I know you're interested in. That's probably called public square mm-hmm. evangelism. Can you explain to our listeners what public square evangelism is? You've been working... Uh, a little bit with the city forum groups in in Australia. Mm. Yeah, so so City Bible Forum in Australia um, is a, a great uh, ministry that does a lot of uh, work with Christians in the workplace specifically. So when I sort of talk about the public square and evangelism in the public square, or Christians reoccupying the public square, 
I'm talking about the um, the place. You know, I guess I'm talking about your workplaces, your neighborhoods, mm-hmm. just everywhere in the public where today in a secular culture, it seems like faith in Christ or really an absolute truth is not welcome. So I believe, I fundamentally believe that um, we as Christians are called to take back the, the public square. I don't particularly think that necessarily means um, we need to get out there with a microphone and, sure. and we're booming it into the public square. I'm more talking about us breaking down that barrier where we think Jesus isn't welcome here. Or even I've noticed it in conversations I I might have with people where I used to work in the government and I might, just my language changes when I'm in the government and I say things like, um, uh, well, I believe that this is true. And it's not wrong, but even... Anything else in my life, I wouldn't word it that way. I would just mm-hmm. say this is true. Mm-hmm. But I'm kind of, it's almost like I feel, no, I need to almost succumb to this relativistic language and I, I need to like sort of slip it in there, something that's not offensive. But really in a secular culture, um, they are just hearing that as, well, that's just Tom's belief. That's great that he mm-hmm. has faith, but not relevant for me. So I'm when I talk about reclaiming the public square and when people like Leslie Newbegin and Chris Wright talk about it, I think it's Christians actually living every aspect of their lives where faith in Christ fundamentally undergirds everything that they do. So in the workplace, um, simple things like uh, praying about your workplace um, when you're stepping into a difficult meeting and just taking time at your desk to say, Holy Spirit, would you just strengthen me mm-hmm. in this time? Let, let me be wise. Um, not feeling as though that's not appropriate because we're in the public square. Mm-hmm. It should be, no, this is, you know, Christ reigns over this area. So therefore, it, it's it got to be okay for me to talk about Jesus. Everyone's going to stand face to face before him one day. So why not now? Um, talk about it as though it's normal because it is. Uh, I think we've bought into this sort of lie that um, in a secular culture, you know, those things like faith in Christ should stay in the private realm Mm -hmm. at home. So I think there's a lot more that I could talk about, but basically um, my interest is equipping Christians to um, occupy the public square again to to actually talk about um, Jesus as the, the one true public truth that's true for all people at all times Um, and how people live that out might look differently, but it's got to be done in community. It's got to be done with people stirring one another on, praying for each other, um, but really being intentional about not allowing that barrier Mm -hmm. to stop your faith entering into the public square. Tom, that's a great place to end. We we could have, you know, got four podcasts out of this in so many areas. I'd love to unpack more church in Australia, public square, um, church planting. I was going to talk to you about ETS, you know, master's study, all, all that stuff. But maybe we'll get you back again. Tom, thank you so much for coming uh, all the way from down under to our Generation <laughs> podcast. Thank you very much, David. It's been a privilege.